please join me for the litany of invitation and confession that's printed in your order of worship. We come to hear the good news of grace. We come with open hearts and outstretched hands. God affirms our deep longing for fellowship. God calls us to a life that is bigger than our egos and wider than our narrow imaginations. No matter what we've done or what we've said, there will be grace sufficient for each of us. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Holy Spirit. Help us to examine where we have fallen short of our calling. And as we examine, we pause for a moment of silent reflection. Sisters and brothers, shame and despair will not have the final word. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. Some of you have been through tough weeks this week for a variety of reasons. Several of us have friends that have serious illnesses, and that weighs on our souls. And some of you have said that you just can't even watch the news these days because it's too depressing. Well, if any of those uh, is your story, uh, we have an uh, antidote for that. It's called the Cherub Choir. The Cherub Choir is our pre-K and kinders. And uh, uh, I remember when Ava Grace was about that size, and she's all grown up now. We're going to listen to them sing, and what they will sing is, I'm singing, I'm singing, I'm glad in every way. I'm one of God's own children. God's near me every day. You get to believe that for you as well as we listen right now. Miss Mary Lou and Joel.
Thank you, boys and girls. That was great. Where did they learn to sing like that? They, they wanted to sing so much, they started before Miss Mary Lou was ready. And they kept on singing even when she was finished. That is what singing is about. You had a lot to sing about. And my hunch is it touched not only your ears, but your hearts. Let's listen as we hear the Bible read. The prophet Isaiah experiences the Holy One. A reading from the book of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here ends the first lesson. Will you pray with me? Holy and almighty God, you are mysterious and wonderful. We ask for your guiding spirit as we look to you to understand our callings. May we be eager followers who respond, Here I am, send me. In spite of our imperfections, We know that you call each of us for your service, and we're grateful and humbled to be part of your plan. We thank you for your unending grace when we fall short and when we hesitate to follow you wholeheartedly. We ask that you help us to forgive ourselves and forgive each other as well. And now, Lord, we come to you as Christ taught the disciples to pray saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Paul proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection, a reading from the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you 
which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it is not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so we have come to believe. Here ends the second lesson. Children, will you all come forward for the lesson, please? Let's move these microphones, okay? All right, everybody make their way to the step. You do? This is one of our favorites. Do you have an offering? You can put it in the plate with Pastor Daniel. Okay, I'm going to sit right here. you got to be in front of me, though. You won't see this stuff. Okay. Okay, this is good. Oh, everybody, careful, careful. Okay, everybody got a seat? Okay. You, you have one of these. Jake has one of these puzzles. That's great. Okay, so this morning we had some beautiful music. Aaron's solving it for us. But first, this is a little puzzle. And you might be wondering why I brought a puzzle to talk to you. Well, who likes puzzles? You do? Who is? Who thinks that they are very good at puzzles? <gasps> yeah? Well, have you ever been working on a puzzle and you get to the last piece or maybe like the piece before last and you have like a few that are missing and you're trying to figure out how you can get these other ones to fit in here. And you're like turning them and looking at them. This one's kind of cool because it's got a picture on every side of the cube. And so sometimes you can look at a puzzle and you can, you're really good at it. And you can always get these puzzles solved so fast, but sometimes you get a puzzle and you work at it and you can't really figure out how these last pieces go. You've been looking at it for a long time, though, and you've been doing it for a long time, and you know, that kind of made me think about our Bible story today, about Jesus and one of the disciples, Simon Peter. See, they were at the lake, and Simon Peter, who's a really good fisherman, and Jesus came up and he said, hey, um, can, you, can I get on your boat and we can go out into the deep water, and he was like, oh, okay. And so they went out on the water, and Simon Peter, he was a really good fisherman. But do you know that that day he hadn't caught any fish? 
And so he had these empty nets. And Jesus, who was not really a fisherman, he said, well, Simon Peter, will you just cast your net out one more time into that deep water? And Simon Peter, he was a fisherman. He was good at doing puzzles. He was good at fishing. So he said, I've been doing this all night. And I, I, I haven't caught any. He kind of told you. But he said, okay, Jesus, if you tell me to, I will. And so do you know that he took his nets and he put them, he trusted, and he put them into the deep water. And do you know that he pulled them up and he had so many fish that it filled the nets and it filled their boat. I brought you each a little fish to have because his boat was full of fish and just like the boat can be full of fish if you that's right and if you believe what jesus says you can have your boat full of fish too if you just listen you might find your boat full of fish all right let's have a prayer and then we'll have a fish how about that dear god thank you for the ways that you call us thank you for the ways that you help us And thank you for all the ways that you can fill our boat full of fish if we only trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, now one at a time. And don't grab over each other. When you get a fish, walk very quietly and carefully and back to your seats. And our little ones, let's follow Miss Mary Lou and Miss Andrea back downstairs, okay? A fish for everyone. One, just one.
Simon Peter's shame is overcome by the power of Jesus' calling. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man." For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, I have not been able to get Peter's words out of my head. Those words that you just heard read, Go away from me, Lord. Go away. Uh, He was on his knees in that boat. And, And what I've heard this past week is a sense of perhaps overwhelming shame. That's what I want to preach about this morning. Shame and the pathway out of shame. The text has brought back many memories for me. It was September of 2016, and I was a third-year seminary student in Texas at Truett Seminary. And I heard the preacher Eugene Lowry give a sermon on this very passage, Luke 5. And, And Lowry proclaimed this truth about the passage, as if we can recreate what a sermon is or does. But this is what I heard. Jesus did not go away. Jesus will not go away. Jesus will never go away. I really needed to hear that. I really needed to hear it. Because about two months later, I was doing a screening interview with the Baptist General Convention of Texas. You you had to be screened, you see. Spoiler alert, I didn't survive the screening. You had to be screened to see the jobs that were available. And they asked me some questions, this and that, and they got to the real question they wanted to know. They said, where do you stand on gay marriage? I said, well, I'm for it. 
but being a good Baptist, I said, I think each church should have the autonomy to decide for themselves what their marriage practice would be. I thought it was a pretty good answer. What do you think, James? Yeah. And he said, that's a deal breaker. I said, well, what do you mean? Does that mean I'm not going to get to see the jobs? And he said, oh, you'll get to see the jobs. But they didn't let me see the jobs. The, the Baptists of Texas went away. But Jesus didn't. <laughs> and then I got a phone call about two months later. It was a voice on the other line said that my friend Todd had taken his own life. And, and it was at that point in my life that I began to feel that familiar feeling come back. Some of you may know that feeling, shame. It's not logical. It's not rational. I didn't cause Todd to die. It didn't have anything to do with me in some sense. I, I didn't cause the Baptists to do what they were going to do in Texas. They, they were going to be against gays with or without me. But I felt that sense that I cannot get through this. I'm not good enough. I'm not loved. I'm not accepted. Shame. Shame cuts deep, doesn't it? Cuts deep. Somebody in, in Wednesday Bible study asked me, what's the difference between shame and guilt? And, and I know the difference in my bones. I, I know what it feels like, but I couldn't say what the difference was. So James was sitting next to me. I turned to him and I said, you take this. We're good like that, aren't we? Yeah? And he said, well, he said, guilt is about what you've done. Shame is about who you are. You hear that? Guilt is about specific actions that you've taken. Shame is about your identity as a person. You heard that old legend about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree? I chopped down the cherry tree when I was a little boy. We, we had a cherry tree in our backyard, an ornamental cherry tree, beautiful blooms. And, and I was bored one day, took the axe to the root. Dad went around and he asked the boys, he said, you all know anything about the axe marks on this tree? And we all said, no. And then my conscience got the better of me and I, I went up to Dad and I said, yeah, that, that, that was me. And all was forgiven. See, see, that's guilt. Specific behavior creates a feeling of remorse. But shame, it comes at you sideways. It's not logical, right? Somebody dies out of the blue. Somebody gets hurt. Door gets shut in your face, and you think, I can't get through this. I'm not good enough for this. That's shame. Peter, I think, had a heavy dose of shame. You heard the story. There they are out on the lake. And, and it was his vocation to be a fisherman. That's what he was good at in life. That was his trade. I mean, he, he even owned a boat. I don't, I don't have a boat. You've got, how many people got boats? Not every fisherman had a boat. He had a boat. He had nets. He had colleagues. He had peers. All the sense of meaning and purpose and value in his life was, was out there in that boat. 
crowd had gathered, and, and then Jesus singled Peter out, didn't he? He'd taken his boat, and he singled Peter out, and he said, put out into the deep. And, and I bet you Peter's mouth fell wide open, because, you know, they had been there all night, and they hadn't, they, they'd caught nothing. And here comes the carpenter's son, and Peter thought he didn't know anything about fishing, right? And, and Jesus' big idea, his master plan, was for the fishermen who had been all night working to fish, it was for them to go fish again. I bet Peter rolled his eyes internally. I bet he thought, stay in your lane, Jesus. We, we, we got this. And of course, you know what happened. It was the biggest catch that they had ever had in their life. So many fish, the nets were breaking. I mean, the nets were so heavy, the boat itself was sinking. All the boats were sinking. And, and Peter looked around at all the sources of identity and worth, value and purpose in his life. They were literally sinking. And so he began to sink, too. He sank to his knees, didn't he? He got down on his knees in that boat. And he said, go away. Go away. For I am a, a sinful man. Now, he had taken that first step toward the holy that each of us, if we haven't already, are required to do. To admit that we are sinful, to admit that we're not God, to admit that we're not master of the universe. And, and there are no masks that we can put on anymore, are there? We're, we're exposed to the holy. He didn't have to say that, did he? He could have gone home, pushed past the wife and children, slammed the door to the bedroom, turned on Netflix, opened a bottle of Makers. Could have done that, didn't he? But he didn't. You know what would have happened if he had not admitted that, if he had not exposed himself? Maybe he would have ended up like Judas, who just couldn't believe that God was the God of second and third and forever chances. That voice inside his head which said, you're not worthy, you're not called, you're not loved. That would have taken over. And I believe that the first step on the pathway out of shame is vulnerability. Vulnerability with God, vulnerability with another human being. It is in Peter's great vulnerability that his shame narrative is threatened. The longer you keep it bottled up inside, the longer you obsess and worry about, well, will, will they believe me? Will they love me? Will they accept me? The greater power shame has in our life. I mean, how many people have been kept back from God's call and claim on their life by the destructive power of shame? How many gay persons have, have come up the aisle for communion, baptism, marriage, and the church says no? You're not loved, you're not accepted, you're not called. How many women who have felt within them a burning desire to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the church says, no, women don't have a place in ministry, hear that voice. How many in this room have been overtaken by a destructive power of shame? Well, you know, Peter had a choice. He chose to be vulnerable, and Jesus had a choice too, didn't he? You know, Jesus could have done a lot of things. He, he could have told Peter, get out of the boat. You're no disciple of mine. You're not, you're not loved. 
You're not even that good of a fisherman, apparently. He didn't. You know what he said? He said, from now on, you will be catching people. In fact, in the Greek, it is this wonderfully weird phrase. You will be catching people alive. That's what he said. You know why he said that? I think they looked around them. Their boats were sinking. The the, the catch was too much for them. There was no future in the nets, no future in the boats, no future with the fish. The fish would be dead soon, eaten, rotting on the shore, maybe released. And all the sources of value in his life which were sinking, there was no future for Peter there. From now on, you will be catching people alive. And it took Peter a long time to accept what Jesus said. He had to expose himself to God, be completely naked in front of God, in vulnerability. And then what Jesus says, and I think this is the second step out of shame. It is that he called him to stop living for himself and start living for God. That simple. You'll be catching people alive. How do we explain? How can we explain Peter, who went from being on his knees in the boat, overcome by shame? How can we explain Peter, who denied Christ three times? I mean, if you think shame was bad in the boat, wait till you get to the death of Jesus. That shame must have been overwhelming. How do we explain that same Peter whom we meet in the second chapter of Acts, which is book two to Luke's two volumes? And he is giving a sermon, not on his knees in shame, but standing on his feet in front of thousands, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we explain it? I don't know, but maybe... Maybe he, he thought back to that boat. That, that the moment of his greatest failure and disappointment. And he heard the promise Jesus made. Maybe for the first time he had ears to hear it. From now on, you will be catching people alive. That was the promise. It is nothing short of the power of God in his life that he was able to proclaim the promise. That's what he said in Acts chapter 2, the last words of his sermon. He looks out at the congregation, those gathered there, and he thought, if there's one person who has been overcome by shame, I have a gospel message of liberation for them. If there's one person who will believe, and he said, the promise is for you, for your children, and for all whom the Lord our God calls. And there was not just one person, there were 3,000 persons who were added to the church that day. 3,000. You know, when I left the seminary chapel three years ago with Eugene Lowry had preached, I was a changed man. I mean, I didn't know it yet, but I was changed. Shame would come back in waves, but when I was able to be vulnerable with God, when I began to stop living for myself and start living for God, 
I could hear this voice, you are loved, you are called, you are accepted. And it wasn't long after that that I got another phone call, and it wasn't the Texas Baptist, and it wasn't notice of death. It was Jack Wynn, chair of the search committee for the associate pastor at Northside Drive Baptist Church. What God can do with shame and vulnerability. And it is not for me alone. It is not for Peter. The promise is for you for your children, and for all whom the Lord our God calls. Thanks be to God. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation uh, for decision and, and response is also given. We sing that song, we sing a song in a moment that seems to capture and, and speak to the text that Daniel was preaching on. You know, the poets say that we think that life is measured in weeks and months and years, but the meaning is made in moments. And I wonder if in the sermon that Daniel preached, there was a moment for you where you felt this tug that there was more grace, that the grace of God is greater than the shame you carry. The grace of God is, is bigger than the guilt you have. And that's a moment that will change you. The song is about Jesus calls us o'er the tumult. And it's to a tune that's not that lullaby that some of us grew up with but it's a tune that speaks of the life's wild, restless sea. Let's stand together and sing.
Well, each time we gather, we bring celebrations and concerns and announcements, and I want to bring a few of those to you this morning. First, for our parents, there's a missions event and a luncheon afterwards. If you can drop your children off in the fellowship hall, they'll be taken care of, and the parents are invited to go outside the church and have lunch at Howell's Kitchen, which is on the corner of Howell Mill and Collier Road. So parents, feel free to do that. Sufficient care will be provided. In fact, more than sufficient. Sometimes my words don't work. This coming Tuesday is Triple E, always a great time. Entertainment, uh, food, and singing. So come, get your reservation with the church office if you haven't. This Tuesday, Valentine's this week. Ooh, I'm glad you told me that. Maybe something I need to do later this week. <laughs> that was awkward, wasn't it, Jenny? We have prayer concerns, of course, many that we've named in, in the weeks past, um, including Larry Prince and Barney Moore and Dick Houston. I got word from Dot, uh, Dick's wife, by email that he had been discharged from the hospital, that he had returned home, and she wanted me to deliver a message. She said, kindly express to the church our love and appreciation for the beauty in Christian love so evident to us at this time. We pray for Dick and for Dot and these, as well as those you hold dear in your heart. And we celebrate with you, Mary. Happy birthday, and how lovely it is to see you and your family with you this morning. The offertory hymn that you're about to hear is an African-American spiritual that draws upon two figures, Elijah and Moses, each of whom struggled with understanding God's call and claim on their life. From Elijah withdrawing to the cave to Moses, wondering if he was the one to be sent, if he could send his brother we hear maybe a narrative of shame in their story, and yet we hear great liberation. So let's listen for that uh, as we continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
loving God, we join our voices with a shout of the confidence that we have in your love for us. Be a rock, be our salvation this week, even as we pass along these tithes and offerings that are symbols of our hearts and our hands that work and invest our lives for you. So hear our prayer that we sing, that you would guide us, O great Jehovah, for we feel like pilgrims in this barren land. We are weak, but you are mighty. Guide us with your powerful hand. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Now hear this good word. You are called, you are loved, you are accepted, and the promise is for you, for your children, and for all whom the Lord our God calls. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.